Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 87. The crew is in attendance. Chaz, as always, accompanied by Richard. Richard, how are you? Hey, guys. What's going on? Hey, Seth, what's up? What's up, Chaz? Richard, how's it going? Doing doing okay. So uh, on the docket for today, we have some specific spoilers that we want to talk about. The entire Kaladesh spoiler was released uh, in the time period between this cast and last cast. So we wanted to highlight a couple of cards that we didn't get to talk about because they weren't spoiled at that point. And uh, we each chose one of them. So we're going to talk about three specific cards. Uh, BNR predictions and announcement is basically right around the corner, so we wanted to uh, talk about that as well. Without further ado, let's just jump right into the specific cards that we wanted to talk about. And uh, now that the full spoiler is out, we can kind of wrap it up with a general, just a take on the entire set as a whole. So take it away, Richard. All right, we received an Azorius Planeswalker, uh, Dovin Bond, two white and a blue, three loyalty, Planeswalker Dovin, Plus one, until your next turn, up to one target creature gets minus three, minus zero, and its activated abilities can't be activated. Minus one, you gain two life and draw a card. Minus seven, you get an emblem with your opponents can't untap more than two permanents during their untap steps. Uh, well, I'm a big fan of Dovin Bond. I think yep. it, it kind of reminds me of a slightly more expensive Jace Bellerin that can actually protect itself, the negative ability... Uh, that you can use three times to draw a card. You get the upside of gaining life. So I think it's pretty powerful. The ultimate is really sweet, but I kind of think it's not going to be that relevant. A lot of times I think you're going to be using this to negative and generate card advantage. The main reason I really like Dovin Bond is we've just seen a lot of cards that make me think blue-white control can actually be a thing again in standard. We have a good two-mana counter spell. We have tons of good white removal that's already been in the format. And we get a good blue-white Planeswalker, a Wrath that we'll talk about in the future. So I'm mostly excited because I can see pieces for a deck that Dovin Bond would be really good in, and I think that deck actually has a chance to be very good in standard. So I, unlike Chandra, the main criticism we had of Chandra was how good will red be? Chandra is obviously powerful, but is red going to be a tier one color? I'm less concerned about that with Dovin Bond because I'm really comfortable with the cards that are going to surround it in a blue-white control deck. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good take. Uh, Richard, what do you think? I really like this card. I, I like it as a spike i kind of dislike it from a design perspective but you basically get bonuses on everything so minus three minus zero is a like a common protection mechanism but now you can't activate your abilities which is super important because if you did this against a mana dork without that clause you'd be very sad you can't kill the mana dork they still get their ramping ability and you accomplish nothing but now you can shut down that ability for a turn so you have effectively removed that creature temporarily so that's that's a big boon. That's almost removal on a plus one for utility creatures. And then minus one, you draw a card, which is fine, but you also gain two life. You know, when you're dirtling around doing nothing drawing cards, gaining incidental life keeps you alive. And comboed with the card we're going to talk about next, you can gain all this life and come back from the brink of death and stabilize. So I think Seth's right that we might actually see a blue-white control deck. Uh, there's enough powerful cards in the colors, and there's not enough... Posers, we, like, we don't have like Undying or Deathness Raptors and things like that anymore, so you might actually be able to wrath the board and survive. 
we might see the resurgence of control. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time for blue to come back and green to take a back seat. And hopefully, uh, Dovin Bond will be central to that. From a design perspective, I'm I'm really feeling bad about these planeswalkers. They follow either the the Jace template or the Omnixilis template. Yeah. Right? Plus one reduce power, minus something draw cards, or plus one draw card, minus something kill creature. Chandra is exactly like that. Dovin Bond is like that. Sahili isn't, and then we criticize her for being weird. But <laughs> it seems like to be yeah. What the hell's up with that? To be competitive, <laughs> you need to follow this template, which makes planeswalkers very boring. Like, is there no way to get a plus one that does something else, but, you know, is actually competitive? I don't know, but these Planeswalkers are looking very similar, even though the colors and the characters are slightly different. They all seem like they're the same card. I, I really actually like that point, and it's 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 a point that we've talked about, but never really, like, honed in on. I mean, that's really good, Richard, because you're you're absolutely right. Like, you kind of look at Dovin Bond. Well, it's not, like, immediate. Like, I immediately didn't think of Jace or Omnixilis. I mean, you're kind of right. Like, but I kind of... You threw in that caveat where it's almost like you have to play this safe, like, kind of predictable game with these Planeswalkers and give them these abilities in order to be competitive. And I, I think that is part of it because you're right. We look at Sahili Rai. It's a little weird, and it's like... Even even Liliana, the Last Hope, to some to, to some extent, wasn't really uh, kind of cut and paste like that. Where it was super conservative, and we were like, "Oh, I don't know where this goes." And we kind of criticize it, but every time we kind of get like a Jace or an Obnixilis, it's like, "All right, well, it's not bad. It's not really exciting, but it's it's just good, you know." So, I, I think that's a really apt um, kind of take on that uh, in terms of a design perspective which uh, I guess doesn't really detract from how good the card is, right? Yeah, and it's weird that there's nothing to do with artifacts with Dovin Bond or right, that Kaladesh is or I, I don't know, right? It, does, it's, it just seems like generic guy. could have been Jace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, maybe they just didn't want to detract from, like, Tezzeret because they, Yeah, they didn't want, like, another so Tezzeret. The Tezzeret yeah, brothers. so synonymous. <laughs> exactly. Like, so synonymous with artifacts. And it's like, well, Dovin Bond does it and does it better, so we don't even need Tezzeret. I don't know. Maybe they wanted him to just be like, he's a story character, so he has to like be better by default. Who knows? But uh, I think that brings us into Fumigate, because I'm going to pose the question to both of you, and we talked about this a little bit, Seth, but I want to pose it to Richard, because you guys are talking about this like blue-white control list. So I wanted to pose the question to you after you read Fumigate, Richard. All right, Fumigate. Three white-white, five converted mana costs. Sorcery, destroy all creatures. You gain one life for each creature destroyed this way. Awesome. So with Fumigate, uh, and we talked about this, like, so is this like a five mana wrath that you can say, all right, I'm, I'm good with paying five mana for this? Yes. Normally, so with a four mana wrath, you could actually wrath and be in like decent shape. With a 5-mana Wrath, by the time you Wrath, you're, like, <laughs> yeah. practically dead. And they'll untap and just, like, dome you for 4 and you're dead. So the Fumigate, you know, if you gain 3 or 4 life, that's basically, like, if you Wrath to turn earlier. So in that sense, I think it does make up for it. And if there were 4-mana Wraths in the format, I think you would actually play some mixture of both. Or, you know, the, you, you would actually think about whether you wanted this life gain because... It's a lot, right? If there's like a couple servo tokens, a couple one ones, if you're playing white weenie, you can gain like four or five, six life off this fumigate, which is worth something. So I think it's actually a pretty strong card, and it's not one of those, oh, I guess five mana wrath's all we got, we better play this. But 
you know, an actual strong good card that you want to put in your deck. So let's just say you're sitting down for week one standard, right? You you both were talking about this blue-white control list. Like, how comfortable would you be... And I'm just throwing these cards together because you talked about, like, you're playing control and this the incidental life gain is actually really good. How comfortable would you be throwing together, like, a, some number of Authority of the Consoles, some number of fabric, uh, Fumigate, and Dovin Bond? Like, would you be pretty comfortable throwing that together, like, week one? No. Either. <laughs> week one's going to be tough because you're going to get Evercold. You need to know what the format is, so unless... I guess if you test enough and you know what people will play, the the biggest problem I see with control now is Emrakul. It's a cast trigger. It's big and it does something totally different. So if you're sitting here with a fistful of removal and fumigates, uh, doesn't really do much for you if you can't stop an Emrakul coming down. So I think that would be the big problem. Uh, but you know maybe control decks have enough tools to deal with both decks and you can tune it like so. But usually you got to skew towards one. Or the other, and uh, you currently can't counter Emrakul without unsubstantiate, and I don't think you want to run that card main deck if you expect a field full of white weenies. There's there's some trade-offs that you need to make, so it'll be it'll be hard for week one unless you've been testing for weeks and and know what the game is going to look like. I think the other big question for control decks is going to be just how good some of these Kaladesh cards are. Uh, one card type that could specifically be problematic would be vehicles. If we're in a format where a lot of people are playing vehicles, uh, your ass don't do that much. Your declarations in stone, your best removal spell doesn't really do that much. So I would be hesitant uh, to play it on week one for that reason. I want to see, as Richard mentioned, how many Emrakuls are there. Are people playing vehicles? Is this a format where we're going to have to play some sort of uh, main deck artifact removal type spells even? Is that something that would be possible? Are there going to be that many vehicles in the format? So I think I would want to see a week or two's worth of data to to really feel comfortable. But I think that after we get that data, I would not be surprised at all to see blue-white control be a tier one deck because I feel like it does have the answers for everything. Summary Dismissal does answer Emrakul. There are efficient ways to deal with vehicles. It's just a question of what mix you have in your deck. You could try it on week one, but if you guess wrong and like, I'm going to beat Emrakul, you might just get run over by vehicles. And if you guess I'm going to beat vehicles, you'll probably just die to Emrakul. So I think you got to see what answers you need on week one before you really take the plunge. I would be much more comfortable playing like Boros vehicles on week one. Just because you go aggro, you slam three powered creatures for one mana and <laughs> and the, the smuggler's copter and just beat your opponent down. And then maybe a week or two after that, head towards blue-white control. This is going to actually sound really weird coming from me. And I'm, I'm still on the aggro plan, probably. But I got to tell you, I think I would be comfortable with blue-white control right away. I'm, I'm actually very scared about this list. Uh, if I if I see this, because the more you talk, you guys, you, I mean, you were talking about it a lot, Seth. You kind of mentioned it, Richard. I mean, the more I like sat down and looked at this, like, because you mentioned blue white control a lot. I, the more I looked at it, the more I was like, oh man, this could actually be really hard to beat, like really bad. I mean, it, it goes back to what we talked about in the videos. This revolutionary rebuff, I think, is like a lot more important than we're giving it credit for. 
And I, I honestly think as a blue-white controllist, I'm not even that concerned about Emrakul. I mean, really, if you if you Emrakul me and you look at my hand, it's a fistful of fumigates. Like, what are you supposed to do? Like, yeah, you took my turn. You probably put me back a little bit. But I can I, I, I can honestly just deal with your Emrakul, no problem. Or I can just revolutionary rebuff it, deal with it that way. I didn't really have a low-costed... Um, a low costed counter that I can use against Emrakul, you know, without keeping, you know, summary dismissal mana up. Four is a lot greater than two, even in standard. And so what? You just you take my turn, you know, all right, you don't use my Dovin Bond trigger, you know, okay, you wrath maybe my one creature, wrath nothing. That's fine. But I still am am still pretty well into the game. I mean, I think there's just enough here that it's like so pushed that it honestly might just be good enough that you can you have almost like an answer for everything. I get vehicles could be a concern, but if they don't have any really creatures, then you're not dealing with Emrakul. You, you kind of just deal with it like that too. Well, so, since we just talked about it, what do you guys think of Revolutionary Rebuff? It's one in a blue counter-target non-artifact spell unless its controller pays two. So this is the fixed mana leak. This is big news. I mean, this is really like we've. We're so used to cancel and like cancel so bad. This is like leaps and bounds better. I'm actually like really concerned about this card. This is this is the best two mana counter we've had since Mana Leak was actually in standard back in the Snapcaster yeah. days. So and I think this is about as good as it gets. I would be surprised to see a standard legal counter that is more powerful than this printed in the near future. I'm actually kind of surprised they printed this. It is Yeah. Uh, it is very good. It almost compares to like misdirection or miscalculation, which is it's not mana leak, but is we're so starved for playable counters in control decks in standard. This feels like uh, mana drain or something. That's how good it feels as a standard control player, just because we're used to getting such horrible counters. I'm not gonna lie. I'm probably gonna play standard. I haven't played standard in a while <laughs> because I want to cast counter spells, and you know the mana base is not exceptional you know having a land come into play tapped is a big deal now right because normally you know with your fast lands if they come in on turn four or five tap you're like whatever i already have my mana but now that one mana may be the difference between a revolutionary rebuff getting you or not so that adds a very interesting dynamic to mana bases and when you play those those tap lands so that you know you can keep your curve so i think mana leak for two is pretty awesome uh, it'd be funny if there's like affinity or something, and then you just sit there with your revolutionary rebuffs, and people just slam vehicle after vehicle and servos and run you over. But yeah, that's a risk I'm willing to take. <laughs> Richard, you gotta play that Aether Hub. Gotta, gotta do it. Gotta, gotta play the Aether Hub. It's the, it's the key to all issues. The more, I, the more I looked at that card, I'm like, this is actually awesome to have. Essentially, a Tendo Ice Bridge at Uncommon and, and Standard. This is actually really good. It just felt good to add it as like a four of and two color lists. So let's talk about Chaz's favorite card, Syndicate yes. Trafficker. One in a black, 3-1, creature, Aetherborn Rogue. Pay one colorless, or one generic mana, sorry. Sacrifice an artifact, put a plus one, plus one counter on Syndicate Trafficker. It gains indestructible until end of turn. I can't even tell you why I like this card so much. I just like it. I, I, it's like it can be so powerful, 
and it's so like innocuous. It's just like one of those cards that were was spoiled last. So I don't think the hype is there, but it's like subtly a really good card. Like even maybe not even subtly, it's just a really good card. I don't know why I like it so much, but I do. What what is the dream scenario here? Because I'm not Wait, seeing the, it. The, the dream scenario is like you you go you go like first turn. You can go first turn. Uh, the uh, what is it called? The the Bowmat Courier, Bowmat Courier, into this, into like the three mana O one that can fabricate two or something like that. <laughs> the dream <laughs> scenario <laughs> involves a three mana O one. Yeah. No. 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 Well, you can. Well, I I would be much. I would still be fine. Like you go turn one Toolcraft Exemplar, turn two Thopter, uh, th- some Smuggler's Copter. Turn three, Syndicate Trafficker. But I don't want to sacrifice my copter. <laughs> you might have to, though. If, if they have a removal spell, what, would you rather just die, or you can just munch the munch the smuggler's copter to the Syndicate Trafficker? If they had a removal spell, they'd probably try to kill the copter anyway. So, I don't know. It, it looks like Falcon Wrath Aristocrat at first glance, but it doesn't fly, it doesn't have haste, and it's not a 4-1. So it's just a 3-1 that kind of you need to sacrifice artifacts, otherwise it's going to die in combat. Unless you have like hangerback walker type cards sitting around where you can just make a ton of tokens to feed this guy. Uh, I don't think it does anything, but I do agree with Chaz that this is super sweet though. The art is amazing, and I already told you guys I love Aetherborn. Yes. Uh, I love rogues, so Aetherborn rogues. And the, the pose and everything is awesome, and he's going to look so, or it is going to look so awesome uh, in foil, so this this card is pretty sweet. I'm skeptical whether or not it'll find a deck, but one thing that gives me hope is the clue tokens. We've definitely seen decks yep. that make so many clue tokens they literally just don't have time to cast them all. And this is a interesting way to take advantage of that problem and potentially grow a really big threat. It's a two drop that can get pretty big in the late game. So I could imagine some sort of green black. Uh, mid-rangey clue token build that could be pretty good and really take advantage of this. My main concern is in Kaladesh, black doesn't seem to be the most pushed artifact color. Like, blue and red seem more artifacty to me. So, we'll see if it actually pans out in a deck, but I think there's some potential in a really specific build that this could be a very strong two-drop. Yeah, it'll be really good against control decks, like the, uh, the blue-white deck we're talking about where they try to wrath, you just make them indestructible and make them into like a six whatever but against other creature decks it trades with a one one unless you sacrifice an artifact so it's gonna be very sad so against control decks i think it could work if in the right show it does have that magical number three though and it does crew essentially every vehicle so but again because you were were just talking about the blue white list again well dovin bond takes care of this guy or this this Aetherborn rogue. Oh, you're right. <laughs> oh, no. The blue white list is too strong. <laughs> it literally deals with everything. Oh no. I don't know. I, I think there's enough I think there's enough support. I just I, I feel like I want to be playing this and the uh this the scrap heap scrounger too. Alright. So what what do you think? So so now the specific cards are out of the way. Kaladesh as a whole. We've seen the whole spoiler. Richard. I really like the set. I think this will be bold prediction. It'll be the most 
the most sellingest set in Magic history thus far. <laughs> I think everyone's on board with the art. I think everyone's on board with the power level. I think everyone's on board with the mechanics and the plane itself. And I think this was just really well done. And then they also threw in masterpieces just for you know, just for more more icing on the cake. So I think this will be an awesome set. I haven't really heard any criticisms on this set. Like everyone seems to love it. And it's a new plane, new characters, just everything is good. The, the only question is energy and whether energy will be good or not. But even if it's bad, I still think the set as a whole is still really good. I like it. Thumbs up. Best set ever. Most selling a set in Magic history. <laughs> <laughs> Seth. Uh, I was I was excited when I knew we were doing another artifact set, and I liked the Kaladash cards we had seen in Magic Origins. And then when they spoiled energy and vehicles, I was a little skeptical and kept saying, oh, I got to wait till I see the whole set. Now that we've seen the whole set, I do really like it. There's the vehicles and even energy seem to have gotten a lot of support and maybe enough support that they can actually be playable just from Kaladash, at least to some extent. And there's some good standalone cards with both of those mechanics, which was one of my worries, that it would just be this weird, like, um, Kamigawa-type world where the cards were really underpowered, but unless you were, like, soul-shifting or something like that, you had to have right. these really <laughs> specific uh, synergy-based decks. But it didn't turn out that way. We saw a lot of powerful standalone cards, and we got a lot of just really interesting cards that are are pretty unique. It's another one of those sets, and we kind of talked about this, I think, with Eldritch Moon. Even some of the cards that are probably bad cards are bad in a way where... It makes you think about them. Like, Metalwork Colossus uh, has potential because it can actually be free, and Electrostatic Plumbler can get really big. So even the cards that normally would be throwaways have something going on that makes me give them a second look and kind of want to build around them. And for me, that's a sign of a good set. Yeah, exactly. I think they kept up that that design. You're absolutely right. And, and Eldritch Moon had intro pack rares. Now, there's obviously a couple of cards you could probably pick out of this and say this could have been an intro pack rare, but I think you're absolutely right. Like, it's still interesting enough that you're just like, well, this isn't completely terrible, except for maybe that, like, giant blue whale. That that might uh, be actually just awful. But uh, even then, it, uh, you c- it could do something somewhere, so you never know. I-, I totally agree with you. I was super skeptical because I sat through two Mirrodin blocks, and I was like, I... like. Here comes all the, well, you're making Affinity insane. Like, oh my goodness, like, this is going to be crazy. Every time an artifact set happens, Affinity just, like, becomes the best deck again. And I just, I've had enough of it. Like, Marodin was was awful, I think, both times. Just never had a really good uh, experience with them, whether it be Affinity or Infect. I know that was before your time, Seth, so, you know, you have to... (laughs) But, uh... (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, vehicles, like you said, they, they made it interesting, right? Like, it's not, it doesn't read like just a straight up artifact set, right? Like, where you have, it's just mainly artifacts, like, every single color has to do with artifacts. I think there's enough identity outside of the artifacts that you're still interested. Yeah, I think so. And the artifacts, because of the vehicles, for example, they actually feel pretty unique. So an energy kind of has the same effect. There's several or many artifacts that are tied to that mechanic. So it doesn't just feel like, oh, we got 
more equipment. We got more artifact creatures, <laughs> right. things like yeah. that. They actually feel fresh and new, but it still does feel like an artifact world in an artifact set. So that part is pretty exciting, I think, that they they did an artifact set. Theros, the big criticism was, oh, this is going to be an enchantment block, and they tried to pull off enchantments in a new way with the gods, but it ended up not feeling like an enchantment set because you they didn't work in the traditional enchantment way that you think of, like powerful world enchantments and things like that. Uh, but this set uh, managed to be an artifact set that was pulled off in a new way, but still feels enough like an artifact set that I'm satisfied with it. Okay. So we, we got all the masterpieces now. I'm actually going to throw this to you, Richard, because you're the one that kind of brought up, well, you, and to some extent you too, Seth, and we're talking about your article in a second. But uh, is there, uh, what do you think of them all? Because I know when you talked, we didn't, get, we didn't get them all. Is there enough like throwaway expeditions that you feel there's some really junky ones? Or do you, do you kind of feel like overall these are great? I was quite shocked. Uh, I think we were 29 out of 30. I think Champion's Helm somehow snuck in here, but every <laughs> other card is amazing. You know, there, there's the give me gear hulks. Okay, they got to put in some standard cards. There's Champion's Helm, and then every other card is amazing. Every other card has amazing art. Whatever negatives I had to say about, <laughs> about masterpieces, I just threw out the door. I was just like, what? Look, look at this new art. This new art is crazy. And if we didn't have masterpieces, we wouldn't have this new art. So by all means, <laughs> masterpieces <laughs> in every set from now to infinity. <laughs> like okay. the swords. Oh, my God. Have you, the swords are so, so nice. And I, yeah. This morning, uh, what's there? there's this person that works in Wizards. I think Mel? Uh, she's a cosplayer, and she made an actual sword of Feast oh, of Famine. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my god. <laughs> I, like, I need to buy one, carry it with my actual sword of Feast of Famine card, and pull it out when I play the card. <laughs> <laughs> I, but... I saw that. It looks, be- it looks really, really well done. So, But these cards that. will be super expensive. Uh, I wish they came in non-foils. I don't like foils. <laughs> I like the art, though. So I wish I had a non-foil option, but I don't. But I think these will be much hotter than the Expeditions because the art is just mm. so amazing on these. Yeah. Seth, so you wrote an article about Masterpieces. For people that didn't read the article or they're just listening to the podcast, where, where were you going with that? What did you want to convey with that? Uh, all right. First, let me ask Richard one quick question, uh, okay. and then I'll get into the article. So I agree with you that this art is amazing, but I found myself thinking – if they can literally make every single one of the expeditions with awesome art that is so sweet, why can't they do this with normal sets? Do they like send letters to the artists like try really hard on this one, paint really good? Like why don't we always just have amazing art on every single card? So first, to answer your question, I think yes, right? Because some artists are better than others, and I'm pretty sure they take that into account when they give an artist a card. Right, you're not gonna give your chase cards to some brand new artist. You're gonna give it to one of your established artists. So, to, in in that sense, that is their kind of. But I think with Kaladesh, it's the art style and direction allows them to make very fancy and beautiful artifacts. Whereas with expeditions, it's like okay, paint some special lands and uh, put some hedrons in there. Like that. That's that's basically <laughs> like their direction, right? And they're like, okay, I guess. And there's only. So much you can do, you know, considering how many lands have been painted in Magic's history. There's always so much you can do, right? And some of them were good. Like, some of the Noah Bradley ones are really awesome, right? But, you know, the creative limits were kind of uh, t- 
tested there, right? Whereas with artifacts, uh, you now have this new style and artifacts, they come in a variety of things. There's like swords, cubes, rings, creatures. So there's a lot of variety here and you have a lot more creative space to play with, I think. And that's why these look so good. That makes sense. I think, yeah, I remember that being one of the criticisms of the expeditions, that some of them looked the same or the art was replaceable. Like, oh, you could put Dust Bowl on Wasteland or Wasteland on Dust Bowl, and who would know the difference? So I think maybe you're right. It is the subject matter that makes it work. But hopefully it's like this going forward, because if they can do this with creatures and planeswalkers and uh, enchantments maybe in the spring block or whatever it happens to be, uh, it would be really awesome if they were all of this quality compared to the expedition quality with the border and the art and everything. So as far as the article, the main thing I was looking at was more the financial impact of having the Masterpiece series in every set moving forward. Everyone pretty much immediately jumped on the fact that this is going to make standard cheaper uh, there's a a finite amount of value to go around in a box, and if a decent amount of that value is going to be going to the Masterpiece series, that means the other cards, uh, by default, have to be worth less to get in under the cap of value. So I was kind of exploring that idea, and uh, basically, as far as the actual numbers, it looks like cards will probably end up being somewhere between 20 and 25% cheaper than non masterpiece cards in standard which is a pretty significant discount and the other thing i kind of talked about was basically what wizards is doing is sort of the robin hood thing of taking from the rich to give to the poor this is almost a i use the term tax even though it's a bad one because it's voluntary but it's basically a way to get players that have a lot of expendable income players that are interested in buying really expensive premium promo type cards for their legacy decks and commander decks or because they're collectors it's a way of getting more money out of those players and essentially shifting that money over to standard players by giving them cheaper cards so it's it's kind of taking from the rich to give to the poor in mtg terms to some extent and that's kind of what wizards is doing and they even suggested that in their announcement article uh, not specifically the the taking from the rich to give to the poor but they were trying to make standard cheaper and it looks like it's going to work and make standard significantly cheaper moving forward uh, all right. Well, BNR announcement is around the corner, so let's just touch upon this briefly. What do you think is going to happen, Richard? Nothing. <laughs> okay. Seth? Uh, probably nothing, but something... We need something to happen in Modern. We, we, need, we need something banned. Modern is... Uh, I don't think Modern's in a healthy place. I want to see something from Infect Band... I would settle for Become Immense, uh, although I still would be on board with Ink Moth getting banned. But I think nothing will happen. I'm leaning toward nothing, but it feels like if if they're going to ban something like Become Immense, and I actually think like this, I think this is a, a fish mail question, right? Uh, I think yes. someone asked about fish If they ban Become Immense, then I think they have to go full-blown, we have to ban unfair stuff in modern i don't think you can do i don't think you can do one ban bnr announcement and just name like become immense arbitrarily and not say like we have to just put the kibosh on unfair stuff in magic so 
I, I would be surprised to just see something like just become immense on there and not go full blown. Like we're going Simeon Spirit Guide. We're going all these unfair delve cards. We're going like Ink Moth Nexus. It, it just feels bad to we're just banning choose all sets, one. but the last six standard sets. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like it, it just feels bad. Like right, like how do you just choose become immense and not like all the other unfair stuff that's going on? That's that's where I am. It's either nothing or everything. I agree with Seth. So if you just ban Infect, then Affinity will take its place. And the right. one thing these two decks have in common is Ink Moth Nexus. That might be enough, right? Like, because the resiliency of these decks is what's really annoying, right? So, you know, you can play Bolt, 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 and then somehow die, right? And a large part of that is their, their creature lands, which is Ink Moth Nexus. So I think if they wanted to do something about it, it would be Ink Moth Nexus, because that would actually take both of them out. But I don't know that it's a big enough of a problem. Like, are, are we really that scared of Infect and Affinity? Like, if you really want, you can beat those decks. The problem is you just get smashed by Banteldrazi. <laughs> it feels like the narrative always is changing. And, and to me, you're absolutely right, Richard. Then It begs the question, then, well, then what's the issue? Because it's like... A couple weeks ago, Dredge was hands down best deck in modern. Don't even play anything else. It's so unfair. Then it just literally like switched the narrative to, oh, Bantel Drazi is like the best deck. Don't even play. Like it's just like too good. And now it's like back to like Infect. It's like, well, it's so unfair. It's like Infect. You know, you can't really beat it. I don't understand why like we're even having this discussion. So then, why are we having this discussion? So I, I think that for me, it's not so much about the individual decks, but it's a overarching question of what we want modern to be. And right. the old wisdom was if decks are consistently killing before turn four, they're, they shouldn't be in modern. And now we have a modern where a huge percentage of the format is actually consistently killing around turn three. Like in fact is a turn three. They talked about it a ton on coverage yesterday. It turned 3.5 deck. It relatively consistently kills on turn three, definitely killing by turn four. And that's what modern is, is just a whole bunch of those decks bouncing off of each other. So yeah. I think we need to decide if, what do we want modern to be? Is it a turn three format? If it's a turn three format, then you're going to have to give us, force of will-esque cards that can deal with turn three kills like you can in legacy or if you want it to be a turn four format you're going to have to do something about all these decks that are consistently killing on turn three i think a lot of it is a knee-jerk reaction because we look at this one tournament of yeah. all modern matches being played this one tournament and we're like oh you know infect is like so crazy if you look at their uh their legacy results like maverick one or something you're like what like, Modern is getting to the point where it's like Legacy, where it's the local metagame that kind of determines what decks you see. And maybe right. in Orlando, everyone plays Infect, right? No one plays the counter to Infects, and they have decided the way to beat Infect is with more Infect. And therefore, it's just everyone running Infect. So it's possible that it's one of those situations where Infect is not too bad, but just in this area, everyone plays these unfair decks. Uh, you know, we've had weeks where Jund is just, like, all over the place, right? We've had weeks where... Uh, you know, you see random decks like Nightfall, uh, Goryeo's Vengeance. So it's possible that it's just the local metagame and the top players there just happen to play this type of deck. I don't see how you could fix Modern. The way you can fix Modern is bring Splinter Twin back. You know, when <laughs> Splinter Twin was around, Infect and Affinity weren't, <laughs> weren't that bad. 
right? You could slow them down and then finish the game. Like today, you slow them down and then just die later, right? So uh, there's a problem here, and I don't know. Like Chad said, you got to ban everything if you want to slow down the format, but what's the point of Modern then? Modern is supposed to be play every single card that you can reasonably buy. Now we've just randomly banned things, and it's going to just become standard. Uh, I, I, I think the third way is to actually print answers. Like, to me, modern is legacy, except you just don't have ways to stop the unfair deck. So it's instead of being about, like, oh, can I keep myself alive? It's always about can I kill faster than my opponent? If my opponent's turn four, I want to be turn 3.5. If my opponent's turn 3.5, I want to be turn three or turn two. And it just keeps going that direction because we don't have answers like we have in Legacy. Where in Legacy, you can be like, all right, my opponent's trying to turn to me, but I can turn 10 them and play Force of Wills and Spell Pierces and Fluster Storms. And you have a way to fight that without just continually getting faster and faster and faster and faster. Wait, so would you guys rather see a Force of Will? Or a mega gut shot. It's like a free counter spell or a free removal spell. What would fix modern? I think a free removal spell. Well, don't we already have like pseudo free removal spells? Well, I mean, the problem is gut shot is like really bad. <laughs> unless, <Yeah. laughs> you know, if they're not X1, you're very sad to be holding a gut shot. Because it's, it's built around creature kills, right? At the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, I what mean, are you really doing part. in modern? You're trying to cheat out creatures. And, and modern, I guess, is like this pseudo like creature based thing that they're trying to push. I don't know, but uh, I I think the free removal spell would honestly be better than the free force of will. Uh, I'm in the force of will camp. Although the big problem with that is if you put force of will in the format, then a lot of those decks are going to try to play force of will. Like in yep. fact, can't play force of will. So then. You're just going to have force of will battles and the unfair decks, at least a good percentage of them, get them as well. So instead of actually helping the slower decks, it's just going to be who has, like, when Mental Misstep was a card in some formats, like, who can you Mental Misstep the Mental Misstep and <laughs> yeah. then Mental Misstep that back so you don't die on turn two? <laughs> well, it actually yeah. favors the control e deck because the, the fast combo decks, they can't afford to pitch a card. All, all their cards matter. So in that sense, the the reactive deck is actually better because all your cards are dead anyway. You're choked on mana and you can't interact. So fit, pitching a card is like fine. Whereas uh, Infect doesn't want to pitch, you know, their pump spells or something, right? So in that, it's not actually symmetrical. It it actually helps the slower decks a bit more. Well, then I I mean I'm still in the force of will. I think we have good enough removal with this member in Path to Exile. I don't know even like Slaughter Pact. I don't know if. Uh, being one mana cheaper is the problem. I think that you need something that can stop a Blighted Agent on turn two and stop uh, the Ad Nauseam kill, a card that does both of those things for to really help the the slower decks compete. All right, let's, uh, let's knock out these fish mail really quickly, and then I think we can wrap things up. All right, so we answer your questions here at MTG Fish Mail. Tweet. At MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fishmail, and we'll we'll answer your questions. So yes. first question at Down Grab Fair, what are the odds Become Immense becomes banned in modern? <laughs> we just talked about that. Yes, yes. At Shitesvi, when was the last time you brought up Crucible the Spirit Dragon? 
we never Whenever that article came out <laughs> I did, it was a one-time thing if you want one send me your address i still have them all uh, i'll even sign it for you uh, we, we, we will we, we we tend not to bring that up here too often i i use them as like coasters to set my <laughs> drinks on at free maximum what are your thoughts of using moto to test the ban list changes unban cards for a trial period and see their effect on the format I don't know if there's a better way to do it. The unfortunate thing is, is like every time they use the Moto outlet to test this, someone just doesn't care about the NDA and just weeks it anyway. So it's like it's it's honestly been kind of destructive the last few times. And I mean, if you're talking about the uh, using the beta, that's one thing. As far as using regular Moto, I think that's problematic because a lot of people use Magic Online to test for real tournaments, and yeah. having two different metagames would be pretty detrimental. That's a big complaint we're seeing with Conspiracy 2 not being there. All these legacy and vintage players want to test for Eternal Weekend, but they can't because the cards aren't there. If you have a completely different ban list, that same thing's going to just be constantly happening. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely need to keep Moto the same as paper uh, i wouldn't be opposed to like this random room where you can go play but don't take over like the daily events or the leagues or whatnot uh with the testing uh next question from jake lacy 91 if you could return to any plane or go to a new one what would it be kamigawa <laughs> you're one of those people <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh i think kamigawa needs another shot <laughs> honestly like it feels so bad. I, I like Kamigawa, but it's like it was honestly a glossed over block because it was just it just looked so bad in between like having affinity and then like whatever else was like broken after that. I really actually liked once uh, affinity and Marodin left Meriden whatever, uh, and we had Kamigawa Ravnica block that actually felt like a really good standard, even though we had Umazawa's Gta. But that's <laughs> that's beside the point. I think I'm going to go with Alara. I like three-color, hmm. like, shard worlds and also artifact worlds. But I liked a lot of the cards that were on Alara, and I would not mind going back there again. I would like to go to a new place. Maybe Norse? Okay. Norse mythology? Have we done Norse? I don't think we have. I don't... A return so. to I would like to see is Arabian Nights. Ooh. Come back and do it correctly now that we know everything we need to know about revisiting and making new worlds that would be very interesting to do the original magic plane dominaria or whatever dominaria how do you how do you even say it uh, dominaria <laughs> dominaria yeah. yeah uh going back there is it does it even exist i don't even know maybe it doesn't exist anymore <laughs> <laughs> but going back there would be also pretty sweet all right next question at vt107 to settle an argument, is Ancestral Vision worth $40 a copy in paper? I don't honestly think it is right now. I mean, when you look at it, it's not even like a premier card in modern when you look at all these other decks. But it, it is powerful enough. I, I think just it just doesn't have a lot of supply to it, which is probably why it hasn't decreased that much uh, after its initial spike. So here's my question for both of you. We know Wizards works a year or two behind as far as when a set's made and when it's released. Are you expecting Ancestral Visions in Modern Masters 2017? Yes. Yes. So you think they knew it was going to get unbanned oh, early yeah. enough, essentially, to put it in in the set? Yeah. 
Yes. All right. Well, then, then definitely no, I, because it is a scarcity thing, which is why the price is so high. So I would be looking to ship my copies as soon as possible because it will crash pretty hard if it shows up. Uh, most likely at rare, I would say, in Modern Masters 2017. All right. From at McQQ, do you think we can ever convince Watsi to allow matchup data again? I don't mm, think so. But no, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't. I don't think so. And. If they were to do such a thing, I think they would do it themselves. Yes. Uh, next question from Is the Killer. Why do budget magic decks seem to almost double on Moto as soon as they're posted? <laughs> this is. Talk about a perpetual conversation. Supply uh, and demand. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, a, a lot of people buy those decks. I know that from recording videos the next week. It's not uncommon in the queues and so forth. And I'm sure even more so if you're not playing in the queues, just for fun for people to uh, buy those decks so they can play them. They're pretty cheap. So basically there's this big rush of people buying the cards all at once. And once people realize the cards are worth more, they sell them to the bots and the price comes back down within a few days or a week or whatever. But if you're trying to buy them on the night the article's published, you're with a whole bunch of other people and that drives up the price temporarily until the supply uh, gets back into the system. At PJ Osor, what will it take to make life gain a viable strategy in competitive magic? Felody or Sovereign Wincon in standard question mark. Well, the good news is there there is a, a dedicated life gain esque type deck in modern uh, Soul Sisters. Uh, the deck was dubbed, and that always had to revolve around life gain. I don't know if there's, uh, th- I mean, historically, life gain win conditions have never been really good, and I don't expect them to be good going forward because they don't really tend to make these alternative win conditions very good. More of like just a a gimmick or just something for fun to see if it can happen. Because I, I, I remember back to like Test of Endurance and that was never really like a thing or Battle of Wits. I, I don't think they're in the the design space to make those cards ever really like viable. I think we have a good test case coming up. If there's a payoff card that can make life gain worth it, it's probably Aetherflux Reservoir. Uh, because okay. if you if you look at some of the other ones, uh, like Felidaire Sovereign, the big issue is you got to wait a whole turn. It's six mana. It's a creature. It dies to everything. you got to wait till your next upkeep. Aetherflux Reservoir, if you gain enough life, it's just literally a 50 damage burn spell for four colorless or generic mana so if there was ever a payoff card that would made you want to try to gain life this would be the one but i still am not convinced it'll happen i think for life gain to be playable like you said jazz you're looking at soul sisters where you take advantage of the ability to gain life in the synergies of gaining life but it's not so much about how high can i get my life total it's how many times can i trigger a soul warden so i can pump up my johnny's pride mate and things like that at Dan Yellow Blue, what's your opinion on Nahiri? The Harbinger, will it have a place in Standard? How will the price evolve? Uh, Tamiyo as well. I think Nahiri actually could have a pretty good comeback. I mean, we talked about Emrakul being, you know, kind of this this premier card coming up and everyone's going to be revolving around Emrakul. Well, we already know that the Nahiri-Emrakul combo is already pretty successful. And the other ability to deal with tapped artifacts has actually gotten uh, much more lucrative now that we, we see all these really cool artifacts and vehicles and, and what have you. Uh, yeah, I think that 
Nihiri is about what she is. She already sees a, diff- yep. a decent amount of play. I don't expect there to be any major change. She's very good at what she does, which is looting and sometimes killing things. I think that Tamio could be in for an upsurge in play and could potentially gain some value from that, uh, both because of the set she's from and because I think Bant can still be good just without collected company, and I still think that Tamio can fit in that slot. So I think Tamio is the one that I could see slightly increasing in price out of the two i think nahiri you're right is pretty fair but are you looking at tamio as like a almost like a collected company like replacement like you you pay for you're already playing collected company like you're paying for now you want to be doing tamio i could imagine taking my old band company list taking out collected companies and putting uh two or three tamios in the collected company slot gotcha i think i agree with Chaz on the nahiri the minus ability is going to do a lot of work now because you can now kill uncrew vehicles that attacked you. Mm-hmm. Getting rid of artifacts is usually pretty hard and standard and your planeswalker can do it in addition to removing creatures. So I think she will see more play uh, if vehicles are a thing because you need ways to remove vehicles that are not crewed and this is one of the ways you can do it. Uh, next question from Magikarp is God. Oh, OG Magikarp is God, sorry. Maro said in his article, Masterpieces make old formats more accessible. I think this is untrue. Opinions. <laughs> yes, it's untrue. <laughs> Alright, moving on. <laughs> yeah, the expedi- expeditions didn't really do much for us in terms of lowering the price. Uh, next question from Lotza Palaka. Can you estimate the supply of a limited print run set like EMA compared to a normal print-to-demand set? Uh, so the thing is, you can get a pretty somewhat decent estimate of the supply of a limited print set because you can... It takes some work, but it's possible to figure out uh, how many each LGS can get, at least for the initial print run, how many game stores there are, and try to make a somewhat reasonable estimate but it's pretty much impossible to do that for a fall set or a regular set so it's you can't really make that comparison we just don't have any data on that all right next question from the guy doug i just discovered blue green crush and love my deck but a lot of control and land is rotating out thoughts going forward i just don't know if that deck can stick around without den protector yeah, I think that deck loses a lot. I would not be surprised to see it fade away. Plus, one of the big reasons to play it was because it was really good against Collected Company, and that's like mm-hmm. 40% of the format, uh, Bant Company and various Bant Human decks. So I think you're it's going to be less good because the format's probably going to be less good for it. Plus, I don't know if you have enough cards to really make it work in the same way. Yeah, and it's not the 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 quantity of the how many cards are rotating. It's it's what's actually rotating, and uh, a huge part of that deck is recycling crush over and over again. And you're just kind of losing that ability to do so. All right, from Semper Nemo, I've been a control slash temple player and playing standard of the season after a few outs. I'm not sure what that means. Do you think there will be a tempo deck? Yes, Blue White Spirits. Yes, I do think tempo lists, uh, especially now that cards like Stasis Snare become a, a more, uh, I, I think, can be looked at again because uh, Dramoka's Command is leaving. Uh, Stasis Snare doesn't look so terrible. Uh, with the, the new the new blue counter we were talking about way, earlier on in the show, uh, and and the spirits, like, like Seth said, are just not going anywhere. There's a lot of tempo 
uh, cards that remain after rotation. All right. At Vane Tempest, any idea on sleeper cards that might spike in value once Kaladesh releases? Spike in the sense that they're they're going to drastically increase? I, I don't know right away, but I, I think there's a few cards that might tumble a little bit that could rebound uh, in price just because... You know, they're they're just overall a good card. I think if we look at anything that's going to spike, I mean, you pretty much have to look at the mythics first. Uh, I, I don't think any rare can can spike in the sense that this this question is probably being asked. Uh, my pick is metallurgic summonings. I that card just seems really powerful to me, and no one really seems to be talking about it. It's probably a long shot, but if I had to pick a sleeper, that would be my pick. Yeah, it's not really a sleeper, but I think uh, Nissa Vital Force is greatly overshadowed. Uh, I don't have a card. <laughs> I can't think <laughs> of one, so I'll just pass. Uh, next question from Mean Mean Pork. Now that Kaladesh is spoiled, Chaz and Richard, what is the most Seth card in the set? Seth and Chaz, what's the most Richard card in the set? Richard and Seth, what's the uh, most Chaz card in the I set? I like this question. Most Seth card in the set has to be one of these like random four mana artifacts. So I'll go with the the Reservoir. What's that card called? Aetherflux Reservoir is the most Seth card in the set. All right, what's what's the most Richard card? We'll just go around in a circle here. Well, no, you had a... Do you agree? You have to agree oh, I have on to agree with you? Uh, okay, yeah. okay, we'll do that. Okay, okay, we'll, we'll go by person. Uh, I disagree. Yeah. So, depends. Do you want the real Seth? <laughs> or the against the odd uh, Seth? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think the against story. the odd Seth, we could choose any janky four to eight mana card here <laughs> and, and get get a pretty good thing. But I actually think... The most Seth card is that four mana, either the five mana Wrath. We already talked about that, or the four mana Divination. Uh, which which one is Insidious Will? Is it Insidious? No. It's the one. It's four mana Into Scry speed, two. Draw two, Scry two. Yeah, yeah. It's either that, or I mean, I'm I'm cheating a little bit. I I did the the, the review videos. I'm going with so real Seth card is Torrential Gear Hulk. Uh, I do also like that. I I think <laughs> I, I think you guys did a pretty good job. You pretty much nailed me all around. <laughs> okay, good. I'm still trying to find that card. Why is it so hard to find? If only Gatherer were up. Uh, we will edit this Richard. all out. Oh, Glimmer of Genius. Here we go. Scry there 2, go. draw 2 cards, get 2 energy. Nothing okay. better than scrying and drawing. Basically, speed. almost any viable blue card is the Seth card in any set. <laughs> the real Seth card. Revolutionary Rebuff, Metallurgic Summonings. I mean, any any viable blue card, is you're, you're pretty much uh, on your way to choosing it. Ah, uh, the Richard card of the set. This is set, tough. This is tough. I don't, I don't even know this what I would really choose. <laughs> you don't, he doesn't even know. So how are we going to know? Uh, um... I, I I have a couple of possibilities, and I'm not sure which okay. one is better. Uh, from a a flavor perspective, and like Commander Richard, I'm going with Gonti, Lord of Luxury, because yes. I know big fan of the Etherborn uh, Etherborn Rogues. Uh, it is a black card, which you tend to be kind of biased towards black cards. The other one is Noxious Gear Hulk because it's sort of like a black Titan, and you like to play. Black Titans. So those are my two picks for Richard cards. I'll accept that, even if it does have Menace. 
<laughs> or, or I, I think he would love. I think g- going away from like premier cards, I think he loves contraband kingpin. Contraband. I think that's oh yeah, yeah. So flavor wise, eighth of board, you guys are absolutely correct. But if I had to choose a card, uh, it would probably be the fast lands. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the spikiest, the, the, spike. the, the spikiest card in Judge colors, <laughs> in BGX colors. Here we go. How could we not have chosen that? Huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. What's the most? What's the most Chaz card here? Oh, God, Hold on. So... Let me filter by green. One second. <laughs> <laughs> this is so easy. Come on. It's it's got a. It's it's the Gear Hulk, I think. The Verdus Gear Hulk. I Nissa's probably there too, but yeah. Nissa's a planeswalker. We'll go with the creature. Uh, I, I was going to say Nissa is my first choice, but my, my sleeper choice for Chaz is Blossoming Defense, the green hexproof pump spell. Yes, that's like something an aggro an aggro green deck could use, and that's what I think of when I think of Chaz cards, so And Very now Sahili. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, those are all very good choices. I think uh, I-, I accept all those. All very right. Good. So next question, Martin N. Regarding masterpieces, is this basically a path to getting reserve list cards reprinted? No. Well, they're not going to make reserve list exp- uh, masterpieces. If that's the question. Uh, I don't think it really has an impact. I guess we could see in the distant future if Wizards is, like, running out of stuff to print and, like, we really need to keep making money. Maybe there's some argument, but I wouldn't see that happening in the near future. I think there's still a decent enough, uh, a decent amount of cards over 25, close to 25 years that they could still pull cards. Maybe they're not exciting, but I just don't think this is an avenue for a reserve list. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to do it. But I see where Martin is coming from. Like, if if they decided to do it, how would they release it? And oh, okay. a masterpiece would be it. Because I don't think they would do, like, from the vault dual lands. Right? right. So it, it would have to be masterpieces if they did it. Or judge promos. I think those are your two avenues if they were going to do it. But I don't think they're actually going to do it. And it's worth noting that there was the foil exception. Even when they were printing from the vault sets, we had reserve list cards. And that was a late addition to the reserve list. So if you wanted to make an argument that something from the reserve list could change, uh, that would be an an obvious thing to argue for, that they could try to take that foil exception and put it back on so they could print premium foil versions of cards. All right. Jamborama, this is regarding finance? Is unpredictability a problem because people get taken for a ride until slash when things are announced and may create opening for inside arbitrage? Or is unpredictability good because it makes speculation that much more dangerous and thus reduces speculation? Yes, I think unpredictability is is good, especially when it comes to the masterpieces, because we, I mean, just look at the scenario that they're that they just like created, right? Like that we had no idea masterpieces were even a thing. We don't even know where they're drawing from. Like, yeah, that it's all artifact based, but I mean, they're all still kind of arbitrary choices. I mean, Painter Servant, Champion's Helm, like they were kind of pulling from all quadrants of the game, and not to say that they weren't successful, but and and these are premier artifacts, but again. We just don't know where they can go with each block in terms of of art of, uh, masterpieces. I think we need the risk. That was one of my big things yeah. with reserve list buyouts. You don't have the risk of a, any sort of reprinting. So I think having some amount of unpredictability is a good thing because yes. it does put risk into speculation and probably reduces speculation. 
Yeah, I think I agree with you yeah. guys. Unpredictability is good, but I think the point about insider arbitrage is actually a pretty big deal uh, because most of the world is operating on unpredictability, but some subset is not, and those people have a huge advantage. So I don't know how you would fix that, but that's just the way it is. Well, yeah, I mean, but that would already be an issue, an ongoing issue anyway. Yeah. I'm sure it breaches their employee contracts or however, and if they got caught, they'd probably lose their job and all that other stuff and maybe legal action from Wizards. So I, I just don't know if there's a lot of that going on already because, I mean, really, they would just want to be risking their jobs at that point, so... No, I mean, like, a, a more general, not like, you know, some guy sneakily buying Wastelands oh. or something, but, like, for example, Star City Games Channel Fireball, next year you need to run Modern Masters 2017 Triple GPU Weekend. We gotta tell you a year in advance because, you know, you actually gotta prepare for it, and here's information about the product. It contains reprints up to Innistrad. So now if you're in those okay. stores, what do you do with this? You're like, uh, <laughs> you know, should I, right. you know, probably shouldn't be buy listing Milianas anymore. And the announcement doesn't come out like way later for the actual public, right? So there's this information disparity. You know, you can't just drop this GP on them in the last minute and expect them to do it. So they have to get this advanced knowledge. And what do you do at that point, right? So I don't, I don't know if there's a clean solution to this, but like that kind of information disparity exists. And even things like spoilers, uh, you know, we get spoilers in advance so that we can make our spoiler article, right? We have that knowledge. You, yep. you could theoretically abuse that or do something with it. And, you know, that's just kind of the way it is. And it's an honor system. Yeah, pretty, and pretty if, much. If you, want, <laughs> if you want spoiler previews and stuff, like, this is the system, right? So, uh, you know, there, there is unpredictability, you know, on top of, you know, just actual person working in R&D <laughs> abusing the information, right? All right, last question from Alan C. Is there any reason to think non-Masterpiece cards in new sets have any chance of retaining value over time? With the announcement of the Masterpiece series, we're now officially in the age of Mega Mythic Rarity. There will be some cards that maintain value over time. Like I yes. think that's definitely true. We will see modern and legacy staples that are printed in new sets, and those cards are going to maintain some amount of value. But like we've talked about throughout the whole cast, I think you really have a, especially why those cards are standard legal, are a much lower ceiling on a lot of those cards than you would have had without the Masterpiece series. Right, and when you look at it, there's obviously cards that go, are going to retain the value. It's all different. It's all cyclical. Uh, you know, years from now, when X card is not in standard, it will obviously decrease because it was primarily used in standard, and that's when you kind of tend to see these more casual EDH commander-related cards, or even modern cards, like you just said, Seth, kind of take the place and t- you know eat up that value where a card, let's just say, I'll use Gideon for example, theoretically that was just a standard card. It was it was taking up more value. It would likely decrease, and then those other cards would it, subsequently in- increase to make up that value. And it's important to realize, too, that the whole EV thing, that's only really relevant when the set is in print and when anyone can go to their local game store and buy a box. You look at Zendikar with a bunch of $100 fetches and all this stuff. That's way over EV, but that doesn't matter because you can't just go buy a box for $90. The box is going to cost you 600 bucks or something ridiculous. So the whole EV thing really only applies why the sets are in print and you can get them. So years down the road, it doesn't really have any effect. The set can be massive positive EV if you're looking at a $100 box, and it doesn't matter because you can't get a $100 box. 
Right. Yeah, and just want to point out, we're not actually in Mega Mythic era yet. All of the cards there are optional. You don't need the masterpiece. Yes. It's when they start putting chase cards in masterpieces that can only be gotten in masterpieces. Yeah. Then you have Mega Mythic, and then you have a problem. But as of that, now, that's it's just optional, right? Great point, Richard. And I think that's a, a lot of people are missing that point. You're absolutely right. When we see this Mega Mythic thing and other. Uh, card games. I mean, those are actually cards that you need to play the game. These are completely optional. Think of them as like a League of Legends skin where you don't need to buy the skin unless you want it to your character to look cool or what have you. I mean, you don't need it to play the game. But I need Star Guardian Lux. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do... I do need the the sword of feast and famine. I I do need that That's and true. the crucible. Would be nice you, too. You, if you cast an, a normal sword now, you might as well just put it in the graveyard. And it's just it's you know, it's not a real sword anymore. My 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 four Mox Opals in Affinity are now obsolete. <laughs> They're obsolete. They don't tap for mana anymore. Didn't you they, get the they don't do update? anything? They, yeah, <laughs> seriously. All right, that's all of our fish mail. Awesome questions. Thank you everyone for sending those in. We love answering them every week. They're they're awesome. Great. It's just great. We love it. Uh, I think that wraps up the cast. Anything out the door? Pre-releases. Pre-releases. Yeah. Not that either of these two go to paper pre-releases anymore. No, Richard does. Uh, Richard does. I do. I, Last I time I was it. busy, but yes. this time I will go and I will open a masterpiece and share it with you guys. And it will I not will be Champion's also... Helm. <laughs> that, that'll be mine. That'll be mine. Or Or the Gear Hulk. All right, so I think that's going to do it. We'll end on a high note, me opening awful expeditions <laughs> or masterpieces. So I think that's uh, about a wrap. So we will do this next week. Tell us all about your pre-releases. You could tweet us. Uh, so, yeah, tell us how your pre-releases go, and we'll talk about it next week. So that's the crew signing out. We will see you next time.